Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Happy Mother's Day. How we doing? Oh, okay. All right. A couple. I, I was a little underwhelmed, but that's okay. Online, we hope you're uh, having a great Mother's Day as well. well. Apparently a mediocre one based on the applause in here. Um, I'm Peter Anderson, though. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH, and we are, we're so glad that you are with us today. Uh, like I said, happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. I hope you've had uh, the opportunity to be showered with uh, all the roses, breakfast in bed, and uh, handmade coupons that you'll never actually uh, turn in. We actually had one of our, one of our sons gave my wife a coupon uh, that said that it was good for two un- uninterrupted naps, which is great, except it, like, it's only good if the other four boys actually agree to that coupon as well. So she's only going to get uninterrupted by one of them, I guess. Um, but, uh, but one of the things I distinctly remember about growing up um, is, I, I mean, I feel like it happened a lot, but it may have been only one time, who knows. Uh, but, but I grew up, uh, our family grew up kind of right around the block from, from our church until we were like around five or so. Um, and, and it was Merced First Baptist. And so my mom would actually take me and my brother to church. We would, me and my brother would big wheel it over to church for, uh, for Sunday school. Uh, and she would hoof it in her, uh, her Sunday best with her high heels and two little boys on big wheels going across one of the busiest roads in Merced. And uh, God bless her for it. Um, and then after that, we would go to big church, right? Anybody go, grow up going to big church later on after Sunday school? Um, and uh, my mom really was fundamental in getting me to church oftentimes. Um, and so uh, I'm sure many of your moms are the same way. But a bit of a warning for all of you, if you showed up this morning thinking to yourself, you know what, I'm really excited to hear about moms on Mother's Day. I'm sorry, that's, you're in the wrong place. Uh, we're continuing in our series in Exodus called Into the Wilderness. And I figure what better of a way to honor and highlight our moms than going through Exodus chapter 6 through 10 today, which is going to highlight the plagues. Um, And so uh, happy Mother's Day, moms. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, But to be fair, you know, when you're young and you got young babies, there are things that young babies do that uh, are equitable to the plagues, as a matter of fact. So we're just going to push through it to there. And I should also warn you that uh, I'm supposed to preach on 124 verses today. Okay, so uh, lean in, and we're going to get through this uh, by the end of Mother's Day next year, and uh, well, we should be good to know. Um, we're, uh, we, we are going to hit some, some highlights, though. We're going to hit some main points of the passage, and then uh, we're going to take kind of a bird's eye view of the nine different plagues, and then come back to look more in detail at the introductory passage earlier. So there's 10 plagues. We're only looking at nine because the 10th one is the destruction of the firstborn son in every home. And I figure that's too dark for Mother's Day. So we'll just go to the nine plagues um, instead. But we're going to be in Exodus 6 as we start. We don't do this every week. um, But one of the things that we did last week that I really enjoyed as we're talking about in the book of Exodus, this idea of God's holiness and our reverence to him, um, is that I'm going to read a a passage of scripture. And as I do so, I'm going to invite you to stand right now with us as we read scripture. So go ahead and stand. Um, And this is out of reverence to God. This is our ability to say, hey, God, you are God and we are not. And I honor you and I honor your word. So we're going to be in Exodus 6:28 through 7:7. 7, 7. It says this. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, "I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you." But Moses said to the Lord, "Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me?" 
Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You're to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of this country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for moms and thank you for even the fact that just by by nature of moms and who they are and their dedication to you and their dedication to their family that, man, church fills up on these weekends. And so, God, I'm thankful uh, for them. Uh, But, God, as we push into Scripture today, and as you push into the plagues, the Pharaoh's hardened heart, just a, a kind of a hard and heavy section of Scripture, Father, that we would recognize that you're sovereign, that you're above it all, and that you are in complete and total control. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Grab a seat, church. Any boxing fans? Any boxing fans? Not MMA. Boxing. Boxing. Yeah, okay, zero. Cool, yeah. That's what I assumed. I'm not a boxing fan either. And I know boxing used to be like big, you know, Muhammad Ali, maybe Mike Tyson a little bit later. Um, And I know there's some of you boxing fans out there who are like, well, what about this obscure person that I don't know? I don't know who it is. And so I'm just going to go with a metaphor about boxing and not a boxer uh, in in particular. So what we're looking at with the plagues here um, is, is it really is this account is structured a little bit like a boxing match. Because first we have something like like a pre-fight press conference. And then after that, we're going to have nine rounds uh, uh, or 10, if we count next week's round as well, of just slugging it out. Okay. And, and, and the, the big question, of course, is who is going to win? Right? You guys have all seen that big, that, that, those press conferences before the big fight where both boxers stand up and, you know, they look at each other and they're talking trash to one another and someone pretends like they're going to do something, but you know they're never going to do something because there's like 50 people who's going to pull them back. It's like a junior high fight, right? Like, hold me back, hold me back, bro. Like, that's kind of what, uh, what we have going on in some of these pre-fight things. And, and in one pharaoh before this fight, or one corner, we have pharaoh, okay? And pharaoh really is, he's, he's the ruler of this massive nation. The Egyptian empire is at its height. I don't know, you know, if you've ever been to Egypt or not, this isn't a, a backward kind of peasant filled country. Okay, this is a mighty, massive civilization, and Pharaoh is its head. Okay, but more than that, Pharaoh is, he, he's no mere earthly king. Okay, Pharaoh, he himself, he's regarded as divine, truly divine, regarded as one of the gods, as a matter of fact. And there's plenty of gods at work protecting Egypt. It's one of the things we need to know. Actually, each and every one of these plagues is a response to one of Egypt's gods. Okay, but, but who would dare to stand up against this guy, the, the single most powerful man in the entire world? And then in the other corner, we have two octogenarians with a stick. Okay? Like that's what we have, like two old guys holding a stick versus the most powerful man in the world really is the boxing match that we are, uh, we're about to see. Moses and Aaron, they're both in their 80s. They've come from a nation of slaves, and even these slaves have rejected them as leaders. One of them has a speech impediment, uh, and they, and they kind of represent a God that no one on the other side of things has ever even heard of. 
Okay, and they've only got one God. Like, how pathetic is that? Like, you couldn't make up more gods? Like, look at all the gods that we could have. If you just make up more gods, then you're obviously more powerful, right? Like, how, how could you only serve uh, one God? Okay, it's pretty much probably how it probably would have seemed to Pharaoh at this point. At least to start with, but, but actually there's no doubt as you read the story, we obviously know who's going to win. The real question is, is how is he going to win? So back to the boxing match, okay? This, this pre-fight conference, it's actually, it's in chapter 7. It's verses 8 to 13. We're not going to read it directly. I'm just going to let you know what happens though. Okay, Pharaoh challenges them. He says, he challenges them to, to prove yourselves by working a miracle is what Pharaoh says at this point. And so Aaron performs a, a miracle. It's actually the same miracle that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. He throws down his stick and it turns into a serpent, right? Pretty impressive, right? There's a miracle that's happening. That's pretty good. Okay, that proves your God. However, there's these other guys that are Egyptian magicians. Fun thing to say, Egyptian magician. So there's a bunch of these Egyptian magicians that they're like, hey, you know what? Like, I can, we can do this too. We have the power to be able to do this. So they actually do the same thing. Most likely it's from the power of Satan though, right? Power of the devil. However, like, like the, the Aaron's staff, his stick that he throws down, he eventually consumes all of those other serpents. It swallowed all of, the, all of those up. But despite that, Exodus 7.13, it tells us Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord said. So the interesting thing is this pre-boxing match kind of showcase is the pattern that the following encounters is going to, going to see. Like, while this was, you know, wherever it was they met up with Pharaoh, this action is going to move to, to a larger arena Okay, this is going to get to Vegas, if you will. This is going to be the prime time fight that everybody is going to, uh, going to know about where the whole land and people of Egypt are going to be present for these things. And then there's 10 rounds that follow, like I said, the first nine of which we're going to look at today. And there's some structure to these nine rounds. There's some structure to these, uh, these nine different plagues. The way God speaks to Moses actually shows that these, these rounds are deliberately organized into three groups of three. That's nine for you dads out there this morning, right? Three groups of three, okay, is nine. And uh, leaving the tenth and last plague to actually stand on its own. And so we go through the plagues. As we go through these plagues, there's a progression in severity. There's a progression in power. Uh, and at first, the, the plagues are just kind of like severe irritations, Right? Like they're just kind of bothersome, but they don't really threaten the nation's prosperity. Okay? The Nile, it's turned to blood. Okay? Definitely a hardship. But they're able to get around that. But the Nile is, it's turned to blood. A, a, a plague of frogs infests the land. And then after that, a plague of gnats kind of infests the land after that. Okay, we actually see a, a touch of humor here because we're actually told that the Egyptian magicians, again, fun to say, could replicate the first two plagues. They could actually do the same things, but the funny thing is that they do those two things and they actually make the plagues worse. They don't make them any better. Um, but they couldn't get rid of the effects the same way that Moses could, right? So these plagues come on and then Moses could then get rid of those plagues. And by the third plagues, the Egyptian magicians had just given up trying to replicate it which is probably best for the Egyptians in general. 
But those magicians, they were also the first to recognize that, that God's hand was at work. They're like, hey, this is something else. There is power. There is greater power here than we are able to summon. Sorry, like, like that God is bigger than us. But regardless of that, regardless of the fact that them recognizing that God's hand is at work, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Okay, so then the next cycle begins. So those are the first three plagues, right? Then the next cycle begins with the plague of flies. Okay, anybody ever been to uh, the dump in August and accidentally left their window down in the car? Anybody? Right. You guys are laughing. There was a hefty laugh there. Okay. I did that one time. I grew up with a, uh, I didn't grow up. I, I, when I started driving, I got to drive a 1982 Toyota pickup. Okay. I mean, it was a tin can on wheels. Great car um, that could have been decimated by any other car on the road. And a matter of fact, it was six months after I got my license. Weird. But Part of my responsibility of having that truck was like, hey, if we got a load that we got to take to the dump, we throw it into the back of that truck and we go. So I remember it was August. I took a load to the dump. I had my windows down because the air conditioner was as uh, reliable as that truck was. And uh, I came home with like a thousand pets in the cab of my truck uh, that, uh, that day. So we're talking plague level flies in that kind of category. Okay, so that's, that's the next thing. They're, they're flies, and they're not like little house flies that just like try to get out of your window and die on the windowsill, right? It's not those type of flies. It's massive flies that could probably bite and sting and, and hurt you in, in some way, okay? So that plague was then followed by the death of livestock, okay? And then after that, it was followed by the plague of boils, now, the plagues at this point are now becoming more of a nuisance, okay? They are becoming, they are starting to affect people's livelihood at this point, okay? We're, and actually, at this point, and this is really, really important, we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to come back to it later. In this part of the cycle, we're told that God is actually making a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. It's Exodus 8.22. It says, but on that day, I will deal, deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there. So you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. Okay, so all of a sudden we have God who's like, hey, like there's going to be flies. I'm going to send this plague to Egypt. But my people who live in Goshen, you guys aren't going to have to deal with it at all. And then he doubles down. He goes into Exodus 9, 4. It says, but the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. And so now we have, again, God making a distinction between those people who are Egyptians, those people who are not his people, and the Israelites. Okay? The, the death of their livestock would have been the end of the majority of their livelihoods. Right? This was going to decimate their economy in a very, very real way. But remember these because we're going to come back to those later. And the final cycle, okay, the last thing that we need to recognize, it's devastating, okay? A plague of hail followed by a plague of locusts to utterly destroy the land. And then the worst plague yet was darkness, okay? Now, I know some of you are like, darkness, three days of darkness, I could catch up on my sleep and that would be a good time, okay? Darkness, though, however, would have been a shot to the soul of the Egyptians because their main god was not Pharaoh. Their main god that they worshiped was the sun, Okay? And so God effectively at this point is like, hey, look, I'm bigger than that God that you worship. I'm bigger than that big, big ball of burning gas in the sky. I am Yahweh. I am Lord. And I'm going to shut that down for three days. Okay? And at the end of today's text, the end of all of that, we're kind of left with a cliffhanger. Because, man, they go nine rounds, including pre-fight. 
And unbelievably, Pharaoh at this point, he is down, but he is not out. And after the ninth plague, we're told once again in Exodus 10, 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing, or he was not willing to let them go. It's an interesting verse. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Okay, happy Mother's Day, everybody. We're just dealing with plagues today. Yeah, you thought I was joking. We were not. Okay, but what is happening in the midst of it? Because the reality is, is that all of us at some point have been exposed to this story. Every single one of us know about the plagues, whether it's from watching The Simpsons when your parents told you you weren't allowed to watch The Simpsons, okay, or whether it was when you grew up in church and you heard about the plagues in Sunday school, because apparently that's a really nice thing to learn about when you're four, okay, whatever it is, like you have been exposed to this in some way, but how is it that we can pull maybe something fresh from that, okay, I want to I take a look back now to some of those introductory passages that, that we read earlier, Okay, so you can flip back to, to chapter 6, where, where we were earlier. And very briefly, we're going we're gonna to look at the role of, of three of the key players in this account. We're going to look at Moses, we're going to look at Pharaoh, and we're going to look at God. Okay, turn to the person who came to you, say Moses, Pharaoh, and God. Moses, Pharaoh, and God. Okay, good, you guys all did it. So, why would Pharaoh listen to Moses. Let's start there. At the end of chapter 6, it's Exodus 6, 30 through uh, chapter 7, verse 2. You know, Mo- Moses, again, he brings up his, his inability to speak. Okay, he actually had an argument with God in chapter 4. It's not on the screen, but it, it, it's in Exodus four thirteen. He says, oh Lord, I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and Aaron, or, uh, and I'm slow of speech and tongue. Oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Right? He's like, hey, I'm not good at that, and I don't want to talk to, to the most powerful man in the entire world. I can't, I can't do that, but God will have none of it. And he actually tells Moses, he reminds him of Exodus 7, verses 1 and 2. He says, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. You say that again. I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. Okay, so just as Pharaoh, like I said earlier, Pharaoh was seen as divine. He was seen as a little G God. And he would have had probably other people, prophets, speak on his behalf. In the same way, God at this point gives Moses a prophet to show that he is speaking with all of the authority of God. Okay, Moses isn't supposed to worry about how he speaks because he is speaking on God's authority. After this, after this point, and I know this is like a big point, Moses having a speech impediment and stuttering and like he can't do it. After this point, we never hear Moses complain about this ever again. Okay, he is completely and totally obedient to God and his authority. Throughout the account of the plagues, he and Aaron, they're completely faithful in what they say and what they do. We're told that Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. They are obedient. They are faithful on the authority of God. They confronted Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, time and time and time again. Like at some point, you would think that Pharaoh would just lock his door and be like, I don't want to see those guys today. Because every time I do, frogs start happening, right? But they, they, like, and it could have easily meant death for them, for them to continue to confront the most powerful man in the world. And at last, at this point, Moses is convinced that what he has to say is actually worth listening to because it comes with the authority of God. And maybe it's low-hanging fruit, like maybe we could land here today, we're not going to, but maybe we could land here today and just say like, hey, is what you have to say worth listening to? 
Are your conversations that you are having with people worth listening to? Okay, if you talk, talk about Jesus more, it probably will be. And not just, it's not just about, you know, preachers and professional evangelists that God calls to speak. All of us who, who have his spirit have the authority to talk about God. That's how, that's how he has chosen to speak to the world. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The church, the local church is God's plan A for the world. We are responsible for carrying his message to the ends of the earth. So we don't waste so many words talking about baseball and how the giants are in first place. The majority of what I talk about is going to be about God, though. I just had to throw that out there. But we don't waste words talking about things that ultimately don't matter, right? Unlike most of the world, like we actually have something to say that's worth listening to, and we shouldn't be frightened to talk about it. You know, when we talk about God's message, we speak with God's authority. That's our responsibility, but we need to keep moving, okay? And so we're, and we're going to keep moving to chapter 7, verse 3, one of the most troubling verses in all of Scripture, okay, this is a verse that Christians love to debate in their small groups, in their Bible studies, and all of those places. It's, it's chapter 7, verse 3. It says, this is, this is God talking, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. We love talking about this as Christians. Like, hold on, you're saying that God could like just make somebody do whatever it is that he wanted them to do like we love taking a deep dive into this and this is what this is kind of what Moses feared would happen he feared that that Pharaoh wasn't going to listen to him but it wasn't because of Moses's inability to communicate it was because of the fact that Pharaoh's heart was hard Okay, again and again, through all of these plagues, we read about Pharaoh's hardened heart. After every single one of the 10 plagues, we get kind of a status update on the state of Pharaoh's heart. And every single time, guess what it says? Pharaoh's heart was hard, right? Like over and over and over again. In the same way, like in creation, when they're going through the seven days of creation, and after every single day, we get a report card, and the Lord said it was good, right? Same thing at the end of all of these plagues, and Pharaoh's heart was hard, but how did it end up hardened? And that's the question we end up spending a whole lot of time on, right? We're told on a number of different occasions, though, that, that Pharaoh uh, hardened his own heart, which is interesting. Uh, and then on another occasion, simply that Pharaoh's heart was hard, so no one was responsible for the hardened heart. And then on a number of further occasions, that, that God actually hardened Pharaoh's heart. We actually see all three of those together at the end of chapter 9, the beginning of uh, chapter 10. It actually says in verse 34, when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials. So which is it? Who at this point hardened Pharaoh's heart? Okay, because we, we can get stuck here. Can I just say that for you? Like, we can get stuck here. And this conversation about Pharaoh's heart being hardened, it takes this massive rabbit trail towards predestination versus free will. Like, it is one step away from predestination versus free will. So, hold on, you're saying that, that God can harden Pharaoh's heart. And so, because of that, Pharaoh had no choice but to end up being condemned, end up being judged. So, Pharaoh can just kind of like beep and boop and robot his way around this earth until God decides that it's time for him to go to, like, that's, that's what you're telling me with this? 
Yep, that is what I'm telling you with this. Okay, but on the other side of things too, not only did God, God harden Pharaoh's heart, on the other side of things, we also have to recognize that Pharaoh actually hardened his own heart as well. So he's complicit in this. He has a responsibility in this as well. His heart, like he hardened his own heart. And so we can get like all twisted up in the why or who or which was it or, or does that mean that, that even if Pharaoh made a proclamation of faith that there's no way that he would go to heaven because God hardened it. Like we can get all bent out of shape on that. But what is the answer? All we can say really is that, that both are true. Okay, God hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And hardening someone's heart, it seems like a strange activity for God to be involved with. It really does, but he had his reasons. We actually read earlier in chapter 9 that God says to Pharaoh, I have raised you up, hear this, I have raised you up for this very purpose. This is God talking to Pharaoh. I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and my name, or that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. Why did he harden Pharaoh's heart? Well, let's read it again. That I might show my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. By hardening Pharaoh's heart against himself, God was able to more clearly show his power and his glory. Because of Pharaoh's hardened heart, God was able to multiply his miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, is what it says. The Apostle Paul even talks about this in the New Testament. He says, therefore, God has mercy on whom he has mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. In short, God, regardless of how you feel about predestination or free will, is in control. God, regardless of how you feel about that, is completely and totally sovereign, even over human hearts. That's the reality of Scripture. That's what it says over and over and over again. Doesn't that make, doesn't that make this, doesn't that make God unfair to Pharaoh? No, it doesn't, for two reasons, okay? The first reason is Pharaoh also hardened his own heart. He's completely guilty in all of this, like I said. The second reason is, is God is the one who gets to define what is fair, not us. God's God. And so he gets to this. So how, how dare we accuse him of wrongdoing? Okay, the lesson for us in this is that there will be people who will never listen to the message of Jesus. They're just not going to. And their hearts are hardened, whether it's because they have made them hard themselves, whether because they simply don't care, and because for God, for reasons that are unknown to us and only known to him, has hardened them. Some people are simply hostile to God. Perhaps you know someone like that. And our responsibility as Christians does not change. That does not mean you write them off. We take the example of Moses and Pharaoh. Moses pleads to God for Pharaoh pleads with him, prays to him over and over and over again that God is sovereign over hearts and because he's sovereign over hearts, he's capable of softening them as well as hardening them and we have to trust him to do the right thing. If God is who we say he is, if God is the God of the entire Bible, not just the God of the Old Testament or the New Testament, that he does not change, then we have to recognize who God is and God is holy, he's perfect, and he's good. And so because of the fact that he's good, we have to trust him. We have to trust him. So speaking of trusting, why is it that God would do all of this, right? Today, we love talking about the fact that God is, like if we were to describe God, okay, we would say God is love, right? We love saying that. God is love. And it's a great PR campaign. It really is. And God is love. That is truthful. 
Okay, but that being said, God isn't just love. God is holy. God is just. God is perfect. He's all of those other attributes as well. But why is it that God would do all of this? Why is it that he would condemn and, and judge an entire nation, give them boils, kill their livestock, eventually take their firstborn? Like, why is he doing all of this? Because we're left in doubt by the Bible's account uh, th that the plagues of Egypt are, are brought about by God's own hand. Like, this isn't anything else. This isn't Moses and Aaron, like, imagining, like, like magically summoning things. Hey, this is God's handiwork, all of it. So why would he do such a thing? And why not just, just like get rid of, like just deliver them right away? Like say, hey, you know what? You guys just come over here and I'm just, I'm going to form a wall between the Egyptians and the Israelites. You guys just come over here and I'm going to, I'm going to take care of it. It actually tells us the answer in chapter 9. It says that by now, this is God talking, by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. That's fun to think about. But he chose instead to multiply his miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt. Why so many plagues? Why so nasty? Why prolong the agony for these people? Okay, we're told in chapter 7 that God's purpose in the plagues is that the Egyptians may know that he is the Lord. That's why. So the Egyptians would know he is the Lord. And, and then in chapter 9, that the Israelites may know that he is the Lord. That's what it says. So why? So, why? so everybody knows that he's God. That's why. But the Egyptians and the Israelites, they're seeing two very different gods, even though the actions are the same thing right? Two very different gods. Their, their experiences are different. Of the lordship of God, is, it's very different. One group experiences his hand in judgment, right? The Egyptians. Everything that the Egyptians are seeing is judgment, and the other experiences his, his hand in salvation. Two very different things. So we see both sides of, uh, of this back in the passage in chapter 7. So look one more time at chapter 7, verse 4. It says, he will not listen to you. Then this is God, I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. The Lord judges Egypt, and he saves his people. That's what this is about. That's what the plagues are about. The Lord multiplies the plagues in judgment to completely and totally humiliate Pharaoh and the Egyptians. That's what he does. He is humiliating him. Hey, of course, he would have brought his people out without going through the whole cycle, but that, that might have left Egypt's pride intact, right? And we're all nice people, so we think to ourselves, oh, well, can't just, come on, leave them alone. Just, like, deliver what you have to do and just, like, leave them alone, right? Should we have done? No, absolutely not. Like, we need to decimate their pride is where God is on this entire thing. That they could, they, like, really, if there was only one plague, they could have completely and totally dismissed this plague that's like a one-off type of thing. Like, oh, it's August, we have flies, right? And if that was the only one, it's like, yeah, it was just a thing, it was a season, we're done. Okay, but the reality is this kept happening over and over and over and over again. It wasn't just a fluke. Him bringing 10 plagues, God made sure that they knew that he was in complete and total control. God is sovereign. And we don't have time to go into it now, but like I said a little bit earlier, it's clear that the choice of plagues is far from random. Like, God and Moses and Aaron weren't just hanging out and be like, hey, you know, I, you know what would be funny? Let's send frogs and see what happens. Like, let's just, like, how many frogs do you think? Like, a hundred? No, like a million frogs. 
great idea. Or no, 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 I know it'd be better than gnats because then they won't even be able to sleep. Like they'll just be buzzing around their face like a stinky kid in August, right? Like, like let's do gnats and that will be really, really funny. Like it, it wasn't random at all. The choice was like each of these were carefully designed to systematically crush the Egyptians' so-called gods and utterly humiliate Pharaoh. And he did that because Pharaoh was supposed to be a god himself. Why destroy their pride? Why destroy all of that? Because Yahweh, the Lord, is not one god among gods. He is the capital G God, the only God. He is sovereign. He is in control. And to deny this is to come underneath his judgment. That's why. So that's one piece. We have judgment on the plagues. The other side, though, on the other hand, through the plagues, the Lord saves his people. So the Egyptians and the Israelites are seeing these in very, very different ways. We saw earlier that God spared the Israelites from the worst part of the plagues. And his hand was actually acting to judge the Egyptians at the same time save the Israelites. Why them? Not because they were good, simply because they were theirs. That's why. And there's definitely things to pull from that. You can pull from that. I almost landed there today, but I decided not to. Like, it wasn't because they were good people that God saved them. It's because they were theirs. In the same way that you moms out there, you don't love your kids because they're always good kids. Some of you are smirking larger than others right now. But you love them because they're yours. Good or bad, they are your kids. And again, he could have brought them out of Egypt without the plagues, but, but through the plagues, he gives the Israelites a deeper understanding of his saving power. Right? We, we read at the start of chapter 10 that it, that, that it all happens so that, quote, you may hear me on this, you may tell your children and your grandchildren how I dealt harsh, harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them and that you may know that I am the Lord. This is a story they're going to tell for centuries. Kids, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents passed down. Thousands of years later, we're still reading about this. Why? Because of the plagues, because God is sovereign. In the plagues, we see that God's hand is both God's hand both judges and saves in order that everybody might know that he is the Lord. And we got to remember, we need to remember that today, that God is still a God whose hand both judges and saves. It really is. This isn't, this isn't an ancient myth that's put out there for our interest and to be forgotten over your Sunday lunch. Okay, this is a massive warning sign. It is a blare of sirens. It is a ringing of alarm bells. See, the plagues, they, they, they point forward both to judgment day to come for us and for God's saving work in Jesus Christ on the cross. It is the same thing. It, like, you follow this. That's why we started this entire Exodus series was talking about a testimony and talking about deliverance, right? This is what shows up over and over and over again in the book of Exodus. It's God delivering his people because he's a promise keeper, because he loves us enough to deliver us. And those people whose hearts have been hardened, whether by yourself or by God or by just by the fact that your heart got hardened, okay, God delivers everybody else. 
The plagues remind us that one day God's hand will come again into judgment on this world. And the plagues in Egypt are going to seem mild in comparison to what we see eventually. And the world is still divided into two groups. The world will continue to be divided into two groups. Those who reject him and those who belong to him. Israelites and Egyptians. Pharaoh and Moses. Those who will know his judgment and those who will know his salvation. And so the question we have to land today with is, is which group do you belong to? And you know, we could have come in and done like a, a flowery Mother's Day message and talked about the role of even Moses' mom in the midst of all of this and, and how she was a blessing in his life and her obedience to God and all of these different things, but I don't think that would do the text justice as we're walking through the book of Exodus. So I got to be honest today, like I feel like moms, as happy as they are that you're here with them, my guess is, is that they would do without the roses if they knew that you had a saving relationship with Christ. And I'm not saying, hey, I'm going to pray a prayer and have a profession of faith simply because my mom wants me to be happy. Like, don't, don't mishear me on that. Okay, but what I am saying is that this is, this is infinitely more important than brunch. This is infinitely more important than roses. Is the idea that God is still judgment and he is still salvation. And I'm sure we want to be on the right side of that. Amen? Why don't we pray, church, and we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for moms. And in the same breath, I thank you for, for plagues, which is a weird thing to say. But God, we recognize that, that you are sovereign amid all of it. You've been sovereign from, from the very, very beginning. God, that you were sovereign in the plagues. You were sovereign even in, in knowing that we were going to be here today that you're completely and totally in control and your name will be known and your name will be glorified, period. You do not change regardless of who we are. And God, thank you for not changing because that gives us an opportunity to see how perfect you are, how holy you are, how set apart you are. God, I pray simply for... For those who are in here, I pray for those who are in our city, our county, those who are traveling from outside of, of the area to be able to be with their moms today. That God, we recognize that today, being here today is not an accident. Joining us online right now is not an accident. God, that there are always going to be two sides of this story, your judgment and your salvation. There are two sides of the same coin. And God, I pray today that as we, as we celebrate moms, and, and we will get to that, that those people who don't yet know you would place their faith in you for the first time today. So if that's you, with head still bowed and eyes still closed, if you're thinking to yourself, I need to get right with God, I need to say yes to him, whether you've said yes to him a hundred different times or whether this is going to be the first time today, I would just invite you to pray in the quietness of your heart. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I admit that. That I fall short of your glory every single day. But B, I believe that you sent your Son to die on the cross for me. That all of my sins are taken care of. 
that you are removing me from the eternal plague of living without you. That I get to be on the salvation side of the coin because of the fact that your son came and died for me and see that I would choose to follow him every single day. God, thank you for loving us first. Thank you for loving us best. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.